0: Welcome to The Scrap Show, a production of Recycling Today. Covering the business of scrap metal recycling, we feature conversations about markets, technology, the industry's rich history, and the traditions and ways of doing business that stay reliably familiar. Listen in as guests from across the country and around the world, processors, traders and industry allies provide insights and observations. The Scrap Show, a conversation between friends in an industry with a rich history and a bright future.
1: Hello, everyone. This is Ryan Taylor of the Recycling Today Media Group and welcome to The Scrap Show. We're here, as that name indicates, to talk about scrap recycling. Each podcast will offer a conversation focusing on the scrap industry journey of our guest. And we'll get that guest's views on the shape of the industry today as well. Today, I'm happy to welcome Glenn Skip Anthony. He's currently a Vice President of Recycling Services with Sargent Equipment. But he spent several decades in the scrap equipment business. A lot of those you may, uh, our listeners may know, remember, with American Pulverizer. So, in particular, Skip has focused on auto shredders or the use of shredders in other applications. Skip, welcome to the Scrap Show. Thank you for having me. Our pleasure. Skip, uh, I guess the, the question to always start with someone who spends, I don't know how many years, you could tell us exactly how many. But the place to start is uh, where and how did you get your start in the recycling equipment business?
0: Well, um, <clears throat> I started in 1971 and actually started in the machine shop.
1: Congratulations, on uh, 50
0: years. Yeah, yeah, that's that's too long. <laughs> but uh, I started out as an apprentice, a tool and die maker in a machine shop, and served a three or four-year apprenticeship program and went wow. into making the parts for shredders, um, <clears throat> machining the parts, building the shredders, this was in St. Louis. Again, this, into this doing, pardon me. Was this in St. Louis or is this somewhere else? This is, no, this was in St. Louis, Missouri. St. Louis. St. Louis Missouri. At American Pulverizers uh, Manufacturing ah. Plant. Okay. Um, my father was vice president of production and manufacturing. Uh-huh. And he and my grandfather was in manufacturing, so it was kind of natural for me to get into the machining end of it. Uh-huh. Um, Slowly, I get more interested in building the machines and how they ticked and how they work. So <clears throat> over the years, I evolved into uh, the assembly area, some lead man positions, and then doing field service. Okay. So my introduction to recycling was going out and working on the machines with some of the people that are leaders in the industry today, and uh-huh. we've kind of grown up together over the years.
1: Okay. Well, 50 years is certainly, there's a lot to look back on. And I, I think one of the questions that I have and I sent to you is, is looking at the way, the nature of how shredding plants have changed. And what were some of the limitations to investing in and operating a shredding plant when you
0: started coming into the industry? And then
1: how did that change over the years?
0: Well, originally, it was mainly the larger operations that mm-hmm. could justify putting a shredder in. Right. Um, The the quantity of scrap uh, availability back then wasn't like it is today. Excuse me. So Mm -hmm. they had to have a bigger market to draw scrap from. Okay. Um, And and also their primary concern then was to get clean ferrous scrap. Mm -hmm. They wanted that. The byproducts that are popular today weren't as critical back then. Uh Uh-huh. So volume meant a lot in order to produce enough material to make a profit. Okay. Um, the uh, the differences today from back then were that all, there was only maybe three real manufacturers of automobile shredders. Okay. <clears throat> and and they they were pretty dominant mm. in that market. Uh, but as the progression into shredding increased, some other companies started to pursue that. Okay. Um, and 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 with that, it, it became more critical to be able to be profitable without running that high volume of material. Uh, okay.
1: Okay. And so did that change the design or the size of a lot of shredder installations later
0: in your career? It, it did. Um, one of the the things that was repeated in conversations all over the country was smaller to mid midsize operations wanting to uh, be able to shred. Okay, right. And and, and see an increase in their profit mm-hmm. based on the recovery of other materials. And the, the best way to separate and recover materials is definitely to shred. Mm-hmm. So most operations had always bailed and sheared and, and most operations had maybe a niche or brought material in processed it minimally and passed it on to the larger operations with the big shredder right okay so the the push was hey can somebody come up with a smaller shredder that we can afford to put in and it can run at a much lower volume and still be profitable and i think that's what pushed the growth of other companies into the shredding manufacturing, but also Mm -hmm. allowing other companies to get into shredding.
1: Sure. Yeah, I think the you know recycling today tries to track the shredders that are out there in the US and other organizations track it globally. And the number, the population has certainly increased. Your 50 years have not been in vain. There's a lot of shredders (laughs) out there now.
0: (laughs) Well, you know, that's one thing about this. Oh, sorry, go ahead. No,
1: no, go, go ahead.
0: Well, that, what, that's one thing about this industry. It never sits still. Hmm. And there, there's a lot of entrepreneurial people in it that are willing to take risk to get to a different level, to find a better way to do things. So they constantly push the manufacturers to meet those needs. Okay. And they help to they help to make their markets grow. Sure. Yeah, that seems to be
1: something in common with the, the equipment companies that stay in, the, stay in it long term. You know, they seem to always mention that, well, look, we don't, most of what we do, it's because a customer has asked about it or has you know urged us to, to make this change or do this differently.
0: Well, in, in the, uh, the advent of the, the, the offer of several different size shredders and different mm-hmm. type shredders for different yes. materials, uh, some more specialized shredding came about because the, the mid-sized and smaller operations were wanting to grow and and they'd be able to enjoy some of the profits that they were not receiving. Okay, sure. Yeah, we'll talk about that a little bit as well. I, I think you, you had, you're now
1: involved. It sounds like quite a bit um, in the well. You always have been. I think in the operations and the maintenance side. And I'm kind of wondering how has that changed over the years. It sounds. I I suspect now there's a much better body of knowledge of how to maintain a shredder and how to operate it. What are some of the, some
0: observations you have on that? Well, I think that. Everyone's realized that these are truly manufacturing systems. Okay. They're not just a shredder or a baler that when it breaks, you fix it. The cost of being down and and not producing is so great that you have to be proactive Uh in your maintenance and in your housekeeping and in your training. Okay. So, what I've seen is uh, a, a huge input into the training. The, uh, the facilities, the tooling, and the operation attitude to where it is a constant part of the operation. If they maintain their equipment and do the things you do in any manufacturing process, it's gonna produce that scrap at the end of the line and the non-ferrous at the other side. And so it is a manufacturing piece of equipment.
1: Okay. Yeah. And so it requires that attention and those systems, it sounds like. And that's some of what you're doing right now. What You alluded to this a little bit earlier. And how is the downstream, the non-fairest part of the shredding process, how has that changed during your decades in the business?
0: Well, it's changed tremendously. <laughs> <laughs> and it continues to change. It's like, if you're not keeping up with it every day, Two or three months something's popping up and mm-hmm. another opportunity to recover materials there you know originally as i said the primary goal was the clean ferris material okay and uh then as eddy currents evolved <clears throat> they now were able to get the zorba products out of the mix and they were happy with that right and then mm-hmm. the coal meagle materials they would pick somewhat and material then ended up either going to another processor or to landfill uh, everybody went after the low hanging fruit, but only a few dedicated companies went after <clears throat> the hard to get materials. Now, even you know small shredding operations in the two, 3000 ton a month or so range mm-hmm. are putting mm-hmm. in equipment to try to recover every bit of material they possibly can. Right. Uh, the return on investment on a system uh, has increased markedly by having the ability to get these other products uh, and, and allowed smaller operators to be able to shred and recover material and be successful without having to have a major over-the-top investment to get there. Okay,
1: and it sounds like the, you know, the return on investment uh, equations have all been done and chasing that non-ferrous and trying to wring every last bit out of it, it, it seems to always pay
0: off or usually pay off. And it's amazing because you, I'm sure yourself and others have seen the size of the recovery plants that are being installed and the type of equipment. I mean, you think back Uh to eddy currents and the original maybe sensor, Uh and now you have machines that can do multiple separations. You can batch run Mm -hmm. and one machine and get multiple separations out of different materials. You can screen, you can use gravity and use all types of things. In order right. to get that little thumbnail worth of material that's been going to landfill forever, right, right,
1: yeah, it's been quite. You know, it's one of those things. I guess as a recycling journalist, I've been writing about for twenty some years, and it just keeps keeps evolving, and it hasn't lost its importance.
0: Skip yeah, it. You see I, it. Mm-hmm.
1: The, Please go ahead. Well, in,
0: in well, in the aluminum industry, we've seen such a push in the automotive aluminum portion and separation of materials and the the equipments evolved into you know x-ray optical color sort you know we, the materials now can be qualified for certain grades that will allow it to be put into processes to make the higher quality um, materials from that uh, and with that to increase the profitability of the operations it, it's just chain it's a non-stop non or uh, constant changing environment for recovery and to keep bringing uh equipment in from different industries that we would have never thought of 25 years ago okay you know for the the medical from the food industry and that the sensors and the right. opticals the x-rays it's just it's incredible yes
1: yeah, so the same kind of technology that will take an off-color piece of rice and eject it from the line is now being used I think, in non unfair sorting it is pretty wild yes
0: <laughs> yes
1: well the the business, you know, every time one talks to a, to somebody in the scrap recycling industry, they always emphasize it's still a business of people and relationships. So one of the questions I'd ask you to consider is, who are some of the people you've met in the scrap industry or the equipment industry, you know, who who've have made a, had an effect on your career or just are memorable in, in some way?
0: Well, my first exploration into the scrap industry was in the service part of it. And going out and working on machines, and I can remember as, I believe, about 24, 25 years old, going up to Padnos Iron Metal Ah. to work on a top feed American pulverizer shredder at that time. Okay. That had been damaged by some type of explosive material. Hmm. And the exposure to an operation at that time as large as Padnos was kind of eye-opening. Ah, I see. And that was my first exposure to a company that actually had uh, their own machine shop. They manufactured their own roll-offs. Okay. They did all the heavy maintenance on all their own equipment. If something wasn't working, they would make the part or do it. And I met a gentleman there named Bill Clay, which you probably remember that name. He I know the name. Yeah. Forever ran the uh, operations for them mm-hmm. for the Shredder operations for ISRI. Yeah. <clears throat> and um, he had a gentleman there named Ken Ravers that ran their machine shop. Okay. And I learned that no matter what is going on, you can find a way to fix it. If you just put your heart and soul into it and figure it out. Uh, and, and from that operation, I, I learned that no matter what, you have to get the job done. Okay. You can't just throw up your hands. You've got to figure out how to get it finished. So I learned from them the importance of, uh, quality hard work and and thinking outside the box so that you could make equipment go uh-huh. um, okay. another gentleman that I thoroughly enjoyed meeting was a gentleman named Meyer Franklin hmm. and he was up in Jackson Michigan at the old Jackson iron and metal plant okay originally um, and just a fantastic guy treated his employees like they were family hmm. <clears throat> and he had the light, had some young guys working for him back then like Clyde Phillips and dale baker who are all now running operations and been successful uh that that when you went up and worked with them you saw an operation that was progressing into what i talked about where you were uh, planning your maintenance you're proactive and not reactive Hmm. um the but probably my grandfather and my father were one of the biggest influences because um they 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 told me that no matter what you do, make sure that you do it right. You put everything you can into it. And if you do that, you'll always be satisfied and people will be happy with your work. And that's what I hope all these younger guys coming up and, and getting into the shredder equipment side of it and recycling side of it takes a heart because uh, you've got to build relationships. And those relationships can become really good friends over the years. hmm I appreciate those guys for sure. Yeah, that's uh, good to hear.
1: Yeah, you, from what I know, you've also logged a lot of airline miles. So I'm kind of curious: is what What are some of the memorable places? Memorable places you visited in your career? Could it be in the U.S., could it be overseas. I'm not sure how much international travel you've done, Skip.
0: Well, that was one thing. I was kind of lucky. I did my my territory was kind of the world. Okay. Um, so I, I, you kind of went where you needed to go and, and where the squeaky wheel was. And, okay. um, you know, I I, I remember uh, Israel as being kind of a, a very memorable place because I went there in 1994, I believe it was, okay, to put okay. in a shredder at United Steel Mill. Hmm. And I had never really been into anywhere in the Middle East or any place where there was some type of conflict or anything okay. that might, might appear. hmm and went on to put the shredder in. And when I got there, they really weren't ready. And I ended up, for, I was supposed to go for seven days. I was there for 22. Okay. But I met some amazing people there and, and learned some amazing stories about people in that country and their, their backgrounds from all the way back to World War II and hmm. the Holocaust and all these things. So it, it, was, it was an awesome time to actually learn firsthand about something that you only read about. Uh, um, right. lucky enough to go to australia several times okay love okay. australia um that the people are great the country's just beautiful and it and uh it, it's it's totally you feel welcome when you go there uh-huh. i i yeah. know and and i've been to china a couple times mm-hmm. and um i i went i think my first time was around 1994 oh, okay and, and china <laughs> did a show uh kind of a recycling show i see i think it was recycling china 1994 or something like that and it was in shanghai Mm -hmm. and i recall mainly that there was really not a whole lot of cars there was taxi cabs and bicycles right and then about four years ago i went back (laughs) and i went to the same areas and now there's cars everywhere and there's uh you know people are it's just amazing Unrecognizable. How much it, it, oh, my goodness. And and then number of people. And, and the cultural changes and things that, that, that occur there that you, you look at and you're like, well, maybe I'd like to bring my kids over and let them see how the rest of the world lives sometime. Yeah. So that it could be an eye-opening experience. Um, mm-hmm. I've been lucky enough to go to the UK and made many friends over in the UK. Ah, okay. Um, Good. Uh, Ireland. Um, been to Korea, uh, been to South America, <clears throat> and everywhere I went, the scrap people are all the same. What's that mean? <laughs> they want to work a deal, and okay. they want their equipment to run, and they want you to do whatever you can to get them going, and then they're friends for life. Uh-huh. Uh huh. So I I I think that probably one of my most favorite places to visit repeatedly was Venezuela. I don't know. And this was—I yeah. um, can't remember exactly what it was, but uh, I don't know if you, you recall Gus Arayus. I do, absolutely. That's novel.
1: That's especially. Uh, yeah. I,
0: oh man, he was just a wonderful guy. He still is a wonderful guy. He's still—he's mm-hmm. still punching out there. But he—he uh, he and I traveled over all over Venezuela for about two weeks. Okay. And this was back far enough where you were driving on some pretty rough roads and out in the jungle going to some of these places. But uh, we sold three shredders, I think, in two weeks to uh, CETA tour oh, okay. and, and just had a fabulous time meeting with all their people and learning the culture uh, and repeatedly uh, having the opportunity to go back down there and meet all these old friends over and over again. Uh, okay.
1: Okay. So. Yeah, that's then your, your territory really was the world and uh some you one or can't more get airlines. away from the good
0: old the good old USA though yeah is, is is fine too i mean who can't love vegas right um you know you get you, you get into all these different areas uh you know texas such a wide open space uh, chicago mm-hmm. area mm-hmm. you get up east with all the industries and and all the different people it, we're, we're our own mix and and it it it's good to be able to get around and see all those people i was very lucky yeah. Well, you mentioned Vegas, and that's where the
1: next in-person ISRI convention is going to be. If, if I'm recalling this correctly, it's going to be there spring of 22. And I wanted to ask you about the ISRI convention and how that's changed over the arc of 40 some years. You know, what was the convention like when you first started? And um, how did it evolve over the years? Well as a, as I, from a vendor's perspective, I'm kind of curious.
0: Right. I I really I I went to the smaller venues like Gulf Coast and some other things first. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I probably didn't really hit the big show until around '98,
1: but okay,
0: okay. E- e- even at that time, you know, p- the activity levels were okay. Uh, people weren't running to jump into your booth and buy shredders, They weren't buying them off the shelf, right? Uh, like that happened a little, a few years later. Um, but uh, the, and it was mainly more uh, a lot of uh, the owners and more higher level people it seemed to me in the beginning. Mm-hmm. As it evolved, it became uh, obvious that people, companies were bringing other people under organization. organization. Okay. And because okay. I think it's because of the increase in the amount of equipment that was being shown uh, and the constant innovation that was taking place every year in the recycling industry was put on show and it would it became important, I think, for all their different people at different levels to see mm-hmm. that equipment, see exactly what it did and be a part of uh, decisions on what was going to happen next. Okay. Okay.
1: Yeah. It's I it sounds like maybe we uh, I think 98 San Francisco was was my first Israeli annual convention as well. And it Oh, was, is that right? Yeah. And it, as you mentioned, it was okay. it was still a busy, active place, but a much, you know, seemed smaller <laughs> still at that time.
0: Yeah. Well, and uh, the, uh, the, family act, the family side of it seemed to increase.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I think it, we run into more family activities and, and families and gentlemen bringing their wives along and, and, right. and other things just to, to make the show a little more enjoyable all the way around. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the biggest thing for me was that people were actually actively pursuing equipment So they were real. They were spending the time with the vendors. Yeah. You know, there have been a few years, a couple of years where it was pretty tough in the exhibit booth from eight in the morning till five. Yes. Uh, So it was kind of (laughs) nice to get into the mode of of really being busy and able to talk and meet people and also the increased amount of people from around the world.
1: All right. Okay. Yes. Much more international.
0: Yeah. Really interesting to watch that expand.
1: Okay. Neat. Well, among, among the other changes over the course of decades would be how you're able, how any, any of us in the industry are able to use technology. I'm kind of wondering from the point of view of an equipment salesperson or installer, you know, how has the smartphone, internet technology, has that made your life easier or a little bit more difficult or a little
0: both? Yeah, I think both. Um, <laughs> it's, you can't hide anymore.
1: Um, (laughs) so if there's something
0: going wrong at a shredding plant they're going to know about it right away (laughs) sure and if you don't respond to a phone or a text pretty quick it it becomes uh it can become a problem for you Mm uh but the technology the ability to uh be able to have all that information at your fingertips right uh you know for a sales person or even service you have the ability to go into your iPad or your phone, and find quotes and information and documents that you've saved <clears throat> that you can pr- uh, promote immediately to someone to help fix a problem, okay, uh, or get something information-wise to somebody very quickly without having to stop, call back, get someone to generate that, and get it to them. Hmm. Uh, you know the the ability to uh, literally FaceTime uh, right. from a service. Right service standpoint, it's almost like being there Mm -hmm. within reason. I I recently had about a um, two-hour FaceTime with a company in Australia that wanted me to see their layout. And they were having some problems with the Schrader. And we were able to not only walk around and look at everything, but watch them open the mill, go inside and talk them through different things and take a look at, at uh, different items and do it all within that hour to two hour time frame, mm-hmm. And get everything buttoned back up and get them running. That was pretty interesting. That is, as much as you um, like Australia, that saved you a 20 hour flight. <laughs> well, yeah. And, and you know, that is, if you go to China, it, it, Australia is a long place to go. Yeah. Uh, but, but it also gives the ability for uh, a manufacturer here in the States to make it easier to sell to another country. Okay. Because now you, you, you can, you can pay attention to it. You can get right on the and, and answer them without having to wait till the next day that we used to have to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did an installation in the UK okay. for an 80 inch mill. And one of the concerns after the startup was the customer was very worried that he wasn't going to get the support. If he had problems, he would struggle. Mm-hmm. Well, we set it up to where one of Pinnacle's engineers would get up at midnight every night and go online and watch them start up and run. Okay. And he would work through it with them and not interfere until he saw that they weren't getting there. And then he would come on and tell them what to do on the computer huh. and they would get running. And after about two or three weeks of that, mm-hmm. they were able to go through just about anything on the system like we were there. Oh, okay. Okay
1: okay so for two or three that was, weeks that made that engineer's life harder but then uh you know once you get past that phase you've actually technology's well, come you know he,
0: nice he was probably happy to be home too though instead life. of having to go back exactly and, and spend exactly. the time there but uh it, it but it is on the other hand it is it's it's hard to get away you go on vacation you maybe you're taking a day off in my case maybe playing golf uh-huh and that 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 phone and that and that wants to buzz and ring and, and you, you got to take a look at it, right? You can't let it, you can't, you can't ignore it. No, I, I suppose not.
1: Yeah. So what, t- can you tell us a little more about what you're doing now with, uh, with Sargent, what that, what that entails, who are your customers and how, what are you offering to them?
0: Well, pretty much anybody is our customer in the scrap industry and, and, mm-hmm. and, and, and Sergeant has has established themselves over the years and, is, is a full service type operation and service is important to me. Um, and, and for me, it's given me an opportunity to uh, uh, kind of work on projects that I want to uh, uh, reach out to people that have problems and, and try to help them with, whether it's production or maintenance or just uh, uh, even personnel type issues. Okay. Uh, but, but if someone's down, they want somebody to be able to react. Right. So the biggest thing I, that, that we try to do is give that immediacy to, to any response that comes out. It's hard to do now, as you well know. I mean, staffing and keeping people on the job and, right. and, and everything right. has been really, really difficult. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there again, mm-hmm. that's where the telephone and computers and some of this technology uh, has to be used because we can't, you can't be everywhere at one time. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do mm-hmm. a lot of rebuilds. They sergeant does. I personally okay. don't get involved they're doing rebuilds on Baylor shears, things like that, which ah. they've always done. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically we're just trying to, I'm personally, for me, it's just, it keeps me utilizing the, the experiences that I've had Okay. and try mm-hmm. to try to help people uh, to get whatever, problems they have solved and if we don't know where to do it or how to do it we'll try to find a way for it to happen. Okay. For them. A couple of
1: different times Skip you've mentioned training and operations and relative to shredding I guess I wonder in terms of just feeding a shredder properly and not putting the wrong things in there have you found that's a, that's a pretty common common problem or maybe an underappreciated aspect of, of
0: good shredding practices how to feed a shredder? Well I tell you Brian with all you know over the last 5 to 8 years you know, back when the the smaller <clears throat> the 60 inch automobile shredders came out okay there was only maybe one or two or three people that made them and so um, there there wasn't this overflow of machines it it happened over a period of time okay. but over the last 8 10 years there's been a lot of other type shredders introduced into the market mm-hmm. And people that wouldn't even have thought even about a maybe sixty-inch shredder have purchased them now. Okay. And what mm-hmm. happens with some of these new operations is they they used to run a bale or a shear. You put material in it. When it gets dull, you change the knives or you change liners.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: A shredder mm-hmm. is just a it's a whole thing by itself. It's a different world. Yeah. It's in a self-destruct yeah. mode one hundred percent of the time, the whole time they run. And the operators today tend to, especially in new systems, mm-hmm. tend to want to just shove material into it. And the hardest thing is to get everybody on board is to you know, do a good job of inspection okay. and sorting mm-hmm. on the product before it goes in the shredder, but also feed the shredder at a steady rate and let the machine run. Don't have yourself jamming everything up to where you're constantly starting and stopping the infeed trying to clear the material out of the chute mm-hmm. get a good uh, pattern going steady feed good inspection purposes good uh, maintenance operations right and then you can run these machines so much easier than we did 25 30 years ago the okay. software that's available to run shredders now is pretty incredible Wow okay yeah that's probably you know, and we want we want to we want to take and give that ability to a, a company because now they're not locked into one guy is their best shredder operator. And when uh-huh. he's not there, they're playing around and, and fighting to try to get a similar production level or quality of production. Okay. Well, the new controls allow you to run that machine based on what reactions we see. And it allows it allows for a company to be able to sustain if, case one of their key people were to be injured or off on vacation or whatever. Okay.
1: That's probably the other
0: thing we see, the other Mm -hmm. thing we see in a lot of operations or actual industrial engineers or engineering background people that are the shredder operations managers. Mm -hmm. So they've been involved in some other industries and they understand production needs and and the the plan production and the plan maintenance and put programs together so they have parts in stock. They have constant reviews. And the this made a huge difference in how these machines operate. I think uh, as o- older companies kind of roll over and maybe the sons and grandsons or whatever are taking over, I think they're probably more into the technology end of it okay. and a, a more planned process than maybe we were in the old days where if it was broke, we grabbed a torch and a hammer and fixed it and then went back to shredding. Okay. So I'm pretty impressed with I'm pretty impressed with the way some of these operations run today. It kind of goes back to one of your initial comments that it's
1: you know a shredding company operator that thinks of it as a manufacturing process is, is better off than just a company that thinks of it as turning big stuff into little stuff quickly.
0: <laughs> yeah it, it, it is it is a manufacturing process. It, it, it really is and the sophistication especially on the non-ferrous portions you know, it, it, you, you have to maintain that because it's truly some a high-tech, uh, sophisticated equipment that has to be treated differently than the way we used to just push all the other equipment in scrap scrapyard.
1: Okay. Huh. Yeah, very interesting. Well, as somebody who's been now in the business for, as we have found out, it's your 50th anniversary to some extent, uh, can you identify one or two pieces of advice or guidance that someone coming into your line of work that you think it's important for them to
0: to keep in mind? Well, I would highly suggest that they, the young sales guys and that that are coming in, try to Mm -hmm. get some time in the manufacturing shop environment so they can see exactly how the equipment they're trying to sell comes together. Um, Also get out in the field and watch equipment run Don't run with a brochure and just try to sell something actually, you know, learn, learn the concept, learn a little bit about how things are manufactured Mm -hmm. so that when they're sitting down in front of a customer for the first time, they're not just reaching for a brochure and handing it over. I also would highly recommend they try to build a relationship it's one thing to run in and throw a brochure down and, and say, "Here, this is ten dollars, and if you buy this, you're going to make a million dollars." But most of the time, on capital equipment like this, mm-hmm. it's the biggest expenditure a lot of these people will make of anything in their life. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's important to build that confidence and trust, so they know that you're on their team, right, and that you really yeah. do have their best uh, benefits in mind, um, and and just. Try to, try to look at it from their side, find out what their biggest problems are and help solve them, versus just trying to uh, sell a piece of equipment up front. Okay. I think it's critical. All right, absolutely. With that
1: same younger person entering the workforce in mind, what's your, what are your thoughts on the future of the scrap recycling industry? Do you think it's got a pretty good future, high volume future ahead of it or what do you see?
0: Oh yeah. I don't know where it's going to go. Um, you know, it's, i I kind of, yeah, for, for a while, they were pushing non-destructive recycling and it's kind of wondering how far that would go, uh, you know, from that standpoint. And, and, you know, now they're, they're trying to design a lot of equipment for with recycling in mind Mm
1: -hmm.
0: to maximize the recovery, uh, of, of it. Uh, the, yeah, I, I don't think there's any place, the recycling industries not going to continue to grow in. Mm-hmm. You know, they they got to reduce landfill. They got to they got to recover more material, more precious metals. Um, the 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 equipment that's being designed and the specialty materials are going to dictate that as well. It's kind of interesting to see what's going to happen with the uh, electric automobiles. Yeah, yeah. I was uh, that's it, a topic we, it's we a think whole about different. About it yeah, it's a whole. I mean, recovering steel, which was the primary thing for shredders in the beginning is Mm -hmm. now probably the easiest part. (laughs) So, you know, and, and for years, the downstream dictated the output of a system. The shredders typically could do more. Okay. So now with the systems being designed on a larger basis so they can handle materials and handle them properly so they can be separated, um, I, I think that part of it's going to continue to grow. It's very interesting to me to see where that goes. I, I enjoy that tremendously. Right.
1: Yeah, okay, that's good to hear, because sure, a, t- a Tesla is fabricated much very differently from an internal combustion engine vehicle, so it does raise questions like, well, then what, at the end of life of these electric vehicles, just what is left for a shredder to, you know, is it worth feeding to a shredder? I don't know, what. when you ask yourself that question, do you, do you have
0: an answer yet? I don't. Although I do know that it, it's going, you're going to see more and more uh, processing of that material after the primary shredder, not just in a separation equipment, but I think in some type of shredder, hammer mill, ring mill, or whatever, uh, okay. so that we can continue to get the co-mingled materials and dissimilar materials that seem to stay together right. in the normal environment, actually get those apart so that you can separate that. I see. And you know you got to believe that uh, on the electronic side, we 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 had some of the motors that I guess they were using in some of the Teslas or something just for review. Uh huh. Tremendous tremendous amount of non-ferrous material that, Okay. Right. not found in a regular engine for sure. Right.
1: I mean, you know, <laughs> recyclers are going to want to recover that, so that at least the opportunity should always
0: be there. One would the think. Well, if it may be me, but it seems to me like we go through products now much faster than we used to mm. and probably because of the change, you know, computers, you know, electronic scrap, you know, look at all the, the turnover of phones and everything that's constant. Right. So that, that those markets are going to continue to grow and they've got to be dealt with too. So that's where I think the recycling people are going to be keying up and looking at yeah. going okay. forward.
1: All right. Terrific. Well, Skip, our our time is about uh, is about up. It's been an enjoyable conversation and I, I very much thank you for being a guest on the Scrap Show. Skip, what's what's I next for it. you? What's next for you? Do you have a busy second half of 2021 ahead of you?
0: Well, I'm starting out with a three day member guest golf tournament this Thursday. <laughs> OK. All right. <laughs> and then after that, after that, yeah, we have some projects we're working on um, in uh, in several different types of industries. Mm. Uh, and, and some upcoming uh, opportunities to work with some of uh, our existing customers that want to see what we can do to improve productivity and, 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 and quality of what they're getting out of their systems. So okay. it looks like it's going to be a fun time for me. I, I, I can do it at my own pace and it's enjoyable. Great.
1: That's good to hear, Skip. And also, as we were talking about before we hit the record button, I hope we cross paths in 2022, when in-person events start happening again, um, if if that is in the future, that would be great.
0: Yeah, no, thank you so much. Uh, I I really enjoy talking about this stuff as you probably can tell I rattle on sometimes, but uh, uh, I look forward to seeing everybody next year at ISRI. I think it'll be wonderful to get out and shake hands or bump knuckles or whatever. Exactly. Yeah, I think
1: that's uh, I think that's how a lot of us feel. We'll skip again on behalf of the Scrap Show and Recycling today. I want to say thank you very much for spending time with us today. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you everybody for listening and goodbye for now. This is Brian Taylor of the Recycling Today Media Group saying goodbye for now.